Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare on Screen, a podcast where I bring along guests to talk about adaptations of Shakespeare, both of the plays and sometimes looser adaptations of the plays. This week, I got on some wonderful guests, not just one, but two. I have joining me the, the hosts of the Bix Do Shakespeare podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I love listening to your podcast and everyone listening, check them out. They're wonderful. They've got, they do a bi-weekly chats on not just the plays themselves and going through them, but also going through themes and greater subjects about Shakespeare as well, which are wonderful. Yeah. Thanks so much. So every week it, I, I invite guests on and I, it's always a dealer's choice and they, and they wonderfully chose a, a one that one, one of the last recent adaptations of Shakespeare and also just like one of the things that I, I thought of at the beginning of this as I started watching this movie Shakespeare's kind of died out recently for 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 major movie adaptations They're, they still film they still have been filming theater productions of Shakespeare but there haven't been that many like filmmakers out there like saying I want to make a Shakespeare movie yeah it's so true actually something that Aiden noticed when we started going through the our like doing our podcast was that there was this rise in Shakespeare productions in like the mid to late 90s oh yeah kind of carried over into the early 2000s and then like yeah recently it's really dropped off like there really hasn't been much so yeah 2015 was when this Macbeth production was filmed or released yeah. um that's probably the most recent that I can think of I mean other, yeah, than, other than my my one of my favorite adaptations The Hollow Crown it's been pretty uh, been pretty scant unfortunately yeah. um yeah. I don't know I think probably it's the age old it didn't make an, enough money I mean this movie itself only made about a million dollars in, right. in America. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sadly, we, we need another, either Kenneth Barton needs to start cranking out some more <laughs> Shakespeare movies. Or, yeah. Or, or we just need like, um, just new passionate Shakespeare creators to come in and, and just say, I mean, the one thing I was thinking about and is that we need, I mean, I love the BBC Shakespeare series. Some of the plays are hit and miss, admittedly, mm-hmm. but I love that that exists, and mm-hmm. I love that they had that effort and willpower to go through all of Shakespeare's canon. Mm-hmm. I, I, Netflix and Amazon, come on. Yeah. years. Throw yeah. all the money into doing that. <laughs> well, it's interesting because there is, I mean, the, the King came out, uh, it was just last year, I think. Yes. Uh, and that, that one's not really... Shakespeare, but it is. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I understand it's it's Shakespeare adjacent kind of kind of approach. It, so that's oh, that's kind of interesting. There might be some more looser adaptations like that maybe in the works. Absolutely. Well, um, we'll come on back to and I'll, I'll talk about that one. That one's very interesting. <laughs> I to get you guys on back again to talk about it because it's basically that the, the Henry ad, specifically like Henry the Fourth, both Henry the Fourths and Henry the Fifth in mm-hmm. one movie. Yeah. And like there's all these scenes in the movie, not to spoil it, but where just like they're they kind of riff off of, of what happens in the Shakespeare play. Okay. Like they have the Solic Law scene and and just like Henry says, like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> cool. Yeah. So that's not like surprising. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, let let's get into it. So yeah, twenty fifteen, um the I mean Beth film came out there's only been about two other major movie adaptations mm. um one I, i've seen both of the other ones they're they're pretty good uh one was directed by orson wells it's mm-hmm. it's very interesting it's very well made it's norish and then there's one made by escaped criminal <laughs> roman Polanski. Yes. although at the time yeah. he was a criminal so right. yeah and yeah, Lindsay, you've seen Roman, that one, right? Yeah, yeah. I think when we studied Shakespeare in high school, we did Macbeth in grade 11, and the Roman Polanski one was the one that everybody watched in school. So I think we've all <laughs> seen the Roman Polanski Macbeth. I haven't seen the Orson Welles one, though, so. Yeah, well, and 
and I just wanted to mention there is a little known CBC Canadian, just to plug our little national uh, broadcaster <laughs> here, but there is a CBC production of uh, with um, James Bond himself, uh, Sean Connery in the t- titular role. Um, oh, yes, in, in all his, I need to see this. Yes. Yeah, I I only found like a five minute clip on uh, on YouTube. I think that was the only actual bit of the recording that I could find. But even just hearing him in his accent was really great. <laughs> well, it would be really nice to have a, an actual Scotsman play Macbeth in yeah. the Scottish play. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. I, I mean, Fastbender, for his credit, is is Irish, and they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Always Scots and the Irish have always had good good friendship relationship all these years. Sure thing. So um, diving into this this movie, so um, c- kind of like I don't want to do a comparison game the entire time, mm-hmm. but so many Shakespeare movies have been can be like reactions to the previous one that have come before. Mm-hmm. Yes. I I do wonder if Kurzel just thought to my himself like. Ooh, Polanski did nihilism for Macbeth. <laughs> I'm gonna do melancholy. Right. I'm gonna make this the most miserable Macbeth ever. <laughs> no, what are you intended I, to? It worked. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. That, that's what you got for sure. Yeah. 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 This is a. This is the most like. I don't know. I mean. It, I've never interpreted like the, everyone is going for a very interesting interpretation. I'll, mm. That's the first thing I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. jump off and saying. So I'm just gonna go through my notes and just everyone chime in with what things to talk about. So sure thing. Like first off, this is um okay. Oh, the framing device. That's actually a great starting off point. Sure. And it's a great brings a whole new, different dimension to the play of the kind of forgotten but but this play does not forget at all that lady macbeth says that she's had a child right before yes and this one makes it where it's it's not just that macbeth macbeth and lady macbeth have have a have a son they have two kids yeah and like and so first you open up and the beginning of the play is now you still get the the witches although they're not really witches in this one either. Right. Yeah. Like they're okay. The in Macbeth movies I've seen so far, like the in the Wells Macbeth, they were kind of the fates. They were just not even like you never saw their faces. They were just kind of these silhouettes. Okay. That, okay. that haunted. Yeah. That haunted Macbeth. Right. And like Polanski's like, no, they were there, and they were. Yeah. They they, they were up to some witchcraft. Straight up witches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this time around, they're just like these. I'm not sure what they are. Just like they're just. I mean, that's what they should be because they're they're weirds. They're kind yeah. of odd, remote. There's four instead of three. That's an interesting choice in and yes. of itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the fact that they added girl... the. Yeah. Go and, ahead. And the that's baby what I was at say. the end, right? <laughs> like there was there was in the end that one of them had a baby. So there's really five at the end. It it adds this weird element to it that it's like they're when it's just the three the three witches it's you know rules of three it fits in with yeah. like a literary tradition but all of a sudden you have a, a the three adult weird sisters and then you have a younger girl and then you have a baby at one point and it's like they're mortal in a weird way like it makes them human yes. which almost makes it more uncanny that they are they're prognosticators, they're fortune tellers, they're something, but it's 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 weirdly human in a way. Yes. Well, this is going to touch on like many things mm. that are weird about this one. I, I mean, I said it before uh, in um, my written review of of the other two Macbeths is that Macbeth is definitely right there with A Midsummer Night's Dream of this is a director's play. Okay, the, yeah. I, I would say more more than like some other Shakespeare plays like this one is because everything about it of Macbeth is defined by like the artistic vision about how kind of 
much you want to define the mysticism and the weird magic and everything about it. Right. And Kurzel doesn't want there to be any magic in this practically. Mm-hmm. Like this yeah, is it's a, a very realist kind of feel, at least to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, we're, we're, I want to touch on that later also for realist because <laughs> like, this is like just this growing trend since I think Kenneth Branagh in Henry V of just how, who can be more naturalistic and who can get a more filthy, uh, yeah. grimy Shakespeare. Right. Yeah. Points for, for these guys that they, they did it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. It's so, definitely a very stylistic film, for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, so beginning with, with the funeral for, mm-hmm. for Macbeth's young, youngest child... That, that's an interesting way of framing the whole everything that's about to transpire and then and we go yeah sorry if i can just jump in i i had actually forgotten that those lines were in the play that they had had a child and yeah. so when i watched it i was like that's such an it's such a great thing to focus on that um that this is part of it and Partly because I love the the later scene with Lady Macbeth, um, how she, you know, the the whole unsex me uh, speech that she gives, because it's so um, it it's it's so central to her character that she has to become a man, she has to stop up the milk and and all that stuff in order to steal herself for what they're about to do, and so um, to start off with this uh, this reminder that she is a woman, she is a mother, her child has died. And then to find out later that it's actually a, a second child, there are two Macbeth children, very interesting choices to to really lean on that in this film, for sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead. So yeah. that, my, that's my favorite. Marianne Cotillard, just her performance yeah. in general, is so phenomenal as as Lady Macbeth. She might be my favorite. I think I'm pretty sure she is my favorite Lady Macbeth yeah. I've seen. Like and that that includes I, I've seen Judy Dench. Okay, yeah. So fighting words, fighting words. Yep. I know. Mm-hmm. No, um, but she's a she, Marion Cotillard. Cotillard is Cotillard. I forget how to pronounce her name. She's amazing. <laughs> she's <laughs> one of you. She's one of you. She's. <laughs> an idiot. Uh, yeah. The the. Uh, yeah, the great line. Oh, just that, just the that, that reading of of her first soliloquy, mm-hmm. the the unsex me, that that was just so magnificent. Of just like, this is so terrifying, and at yeah. the same time powerful. I'm just like, wow, oh boy, we are in for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, especially, sorry, Linz. I was just gonna say, uh, especially. The way it's filmed too, it's in this kind of like religious setting, and just the lighting and the 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 uh, kind of solitude of that she kind of brings to it is very kind of telling. Especially connecting back to the dead baby at the start of the the film, it's like it, yeah, like Lindsay said, it really kind of adds this extra element of um, giving her uh, just stronger motivation. Like you really kind of feel that this is a woman who doesn't have you know traditional femininity left to her because she's you know she's tried having kids and it hasn't gone well she's gonna oh. she's gonna go full man you know that's that's the alternative for her oh and boy oh later on that for for again like and this is one of the reasons why i love and why i want to do this podcast quite frankly is is every shakespeare film brings new dimension to certain lines and texts of like, I never thought of it that way or read it that way of, of just later on when Macbeth is speaking to Lady Macbeth about his paranoia for, for um, Banco and yep. Leonce and the entire time speaking, he, he points a knife to Lady Macbeth's womb yes. and is just like, and his, and it's it's the first time really that that I was like wow not only in this light is that paranoia paranoia it's also an insult to Lady Macbeth right in front of her huge yeah yeah, yeah. 
And it's also like really heartbreaking because it's really just confirming, oh yeah, we're never gonna have another kid. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, we're never gonna have another kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it haunts her too because it comes back later when she has her final breakdown. Um, she's delivering her last soliloquy to the ghost of her dead child, which yes. again, not in the play, but it's it's a wonderful directorial choice to to really focus it all back on the desperation, I guess, of these characters who have lost everything. And this is their last grasp at, at power and meaning or something. I don't know. Yes. Um, yeah, well, it's brilliant. Well, that's also a very, in terms of like, um, the, the analogy I like to use is that there's basically two camps when it comes to adapting Shakespeare. There's the, the Kenneth Branagh, the, the text is sacred. Do not mangle any piece of the text. So I will do a four hour version of Hamlet and yep. shut up if you say it's long. <laughs> and then there's the Laurence Olivier camp that says, I'm making a great movie, people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and so, yes, I'll break up the wooing of Lady Anne in Richard III into two scenes. Yes, I'll put yes. to be or not to be in an entire entirely different context that brings new dimension to the whole whole soliloquy and i think it was because he was Laurence olivier and because he was the first major filmmaker really to do shakespeare mm-hmm. everyone like didn't really notice it or like criticize him because he was Laurence olivier right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so but so i, I admire like Curzel and i think yeah, it's it's fine. For a long time, I was of that brana of like, no, no, don't mangle the text. It's Shakespeare. How dare you? Right. But now I'm like, no, no, no. So to have Lady Macbeth's famous sleepwalking moment yeah. just be a conscious moment of just conscious guilt. Mm-hmm. It's not unconscious. She's fully awake and she knows what she's done. Yeah. And what she's somewhat guided Macbeth into being mm-hmm. and to have her then just kind of begging forgiveness from her son but at the same time yeah. trying to for, forget her son yeah yeah it's yeah. so layered and nuanced it really is a, a a master stroke i think oh and also and to bring references to other ones since we're on a good lady Macbeth high let, let's just talk about <laughs> all, all about her then i, I mean i love him um, what I, uh, what they did that, I mean, one critic I once heard from another Shakespeare podcast that is a fair critique is there's kind of a gap between explaining why Lady Macbeth goes to be being so guilt stricken by mm-hmm. the end, mm-hmm. and yeah. and really the the choice that many have done like Orson Welles I think does the does the most like horrifying way to get that sell it across is that is to have lady macbeth see the children of Macduff be murdered right uh, okay and yeah and so oh and the decision is like wow what a decision to make it be a public execution so yes. it's not secret assassination this is a public execution yeah and they're yeah. burned at the stake yeah yeah just that like... was grim. <laughs> that was really grim. <laughs> yeah. But again, a, an important moment of, I think, it shows the escalation in Macbeth's, in King Macbeth's paranoia. But I think that plays in really well with the way that, how you can in- interpret or how you can explain Lady Macbeth's um, eventual uh uh, return like the return of her guilt or the the appearance of her guilt I guess um, like you said it's it's in seeing um, Lady Macduff and the children be executed I think that uh, triggers something in her well because because she seems of... to be strong up until that point right yes well yeah well I mean we've already and it is in the text of, of that of her of early on, she urges him, like, you're, you're king, you're king, it's fine, we're safe, we're safe, mm-hmm. don't worry about it, but but also the dimension of her being a mother, 
Yeah. And seeing another mother cry out as her children are about to die. Yeah. It's a bit more understandable for why she would be so guilt-stricken. Yeah. And just so ashamed. Yeah. Especially since it's so recent that her that her her baby boy has died along with yeah. her elder son who was just on the cusp of manhood. Yeah. And daddy took yeah. him out, out for war for his first time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it sure adds an a psychological element to it. Yeah. Which very welcome. Yeah. Tracking back a little bit, so this is a one thing interesting about this. I've seen this in in in, in Brana's As You Like It, so it's happened before, but they give an opening crawl, like a Star Wars opening crawl. Yeah. For, for the beginning of the movie, which is like to to kind of avoid having to have some of the expository monologues to explain what's happened. Yeah. And then we actually see the battle. Yes. Yeah. So seeing the battle, what do you think that, about that, about, about seeing it and seeing Macbeth, one, and I think it helps to establish what, what they're going for for this Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It one uh, I, I thought to myself okay he's going for 300 right <laughs> Shakespeare is yeah. now going for 300 <laughs> Shakespeare sure. 300 and and Braveheart because they they got the blue war paint yes, yes. And, and, <laughs> and unlike Braveheart that it might be closer to when they actually did wear that war paint I yeah. think yeah yeah I couldn't really place what year it was but it did seem to be more um um, appropriately timed than other Macbeth productions that I've seen. So um, probably closer to the when the historical character of Macbeth would have lived, right? But yeah, yes. Um, well, Aiden, I don't know. Did you have anything about this? The you, you like the battle scene, that first opening battle scene, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I did. Although I did think it was a little odd that they did have like uh, a crawl. Then the battle, and then they did have the the description still, like describing how well Macbeth fought, um, as we're seeing him fight. It's like, yeah, yeah, I was there. I I, I can <laughs> see it. It looks good, you know. But it's it was, so that was kind of a an interesting choice. I think it might have been just uh, Kurzel's way of like easing us into the language a little bit, because you don't have to actually track what that is. Like for the for your average uh, North American audience, who's you know. Everybody, well, even us, still, every time I watch a Shakespeare production, it takes, you know, half a scene to dive, to just get comfortable with the flow of the language and everything and pick yeah. out the meaning again and stuff. So I think maybe that was it. It's, it's if you didn't pick up on the language, you still got basically the same information. So okay. that kind of worked. But it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting choice for sure. It's like the Romeo and Juliet prologue, but but modernized, right? It tells you what's happening. Yeah. It sets the stage. Maybe it doesn't tell you the whole story, but it 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 eases you in, right? So yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it is a perfect co- context, and to be fair, I, I do understand a lot of people who aren't familiar with the play, and myself included. Like I, I recently reread the play as part mm. of a fun little Shakespeare online reading group I'm with, uh, and it's one of the ones where it's like deep in the middle of it's almost like the end of another play practically of just like this this deep battle where there's been many allies and Mm -hmm. scotland has been able to repel the invasion forces and Macbeth has been this amazing wartime leader Mm -hmm. it's almost like like many people especially the henry the sixth kind of crowd would be like where's this play i'd like this play Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what the heck happened here? But <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually, you know, that's a good point to to set that up as like a you know you don't get the 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 in depth discussion of who's fighting whom and and what side are we on. You just you just get like the teaser at the end, right? And who who won, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it acts as a good bookend too. It's like especially well in this version, especially because you the visual fight scenes were beginning and end. Um, yes. It gives a sense of completeness and 
Yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. talk about that. Mm. In terms of direction, I mean, he Kurzel goes for lots of like kind of color filters. The, yeah. the first, battle yes. is, first battle is blue. The final battle is red. Yes. And all these really colorful. This is a one really inventive and artistic Shakespeare adaptation. And I. Well, Aiden, didn't you say the cinematographer that. is uh, the same one who did. Oh, who uh, was it? He did true. Well, he did True Detective, the first right. season of True Detective, and it has a that similar kind of grainyish, but very clear. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like HD TV kind of feel. I don't know how to describe it, but um, yeah, yeah, it was the same guy. I forget his name now. Um, but yeah, and then he also did. He worked with Kurzel again on uh, Assassin's Creed, actually, too. I yeah, think, so. that's kind yeah. of the sad. <laughs> See, it's like all these people then went on to do Assassin's Creed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, it's a shame. But you're right. The color filters are amazing in it. And it it reminded me a lot of like, you know, I'm an English teacher and I've taught Vertigo in class for a number of years. And um, and it's great for like color symbolism and stuff. And that's what it, what this reminded me of was like, you've got this blue battle, you've got this red hot battle. And then you've got every time the weird sisters are on screen, it's kind of tinged green, like supernatural and it's un- mm-hmm. otherworldly. And it's just like, it's so emotional. Like it, it provokes a response in the audience when you see those, those filters being used and those colors being employed so skillfully um, it really did have like a an almost a Hitchcock uh, vibe to it in a weird way, not like total Hitchcock. Yeah, not, yeah, not so. tone of the movie, but no, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. But but the visuals and the the symbolism and stuff there. Mm-hmm. So, and I touched on earlier for griminess, mm-hmm. and I I did make it as a note of just like this is the most. This is probably. I've seen a bunch of medieval movies, or, or movies take place in medieval times. This is the least appealing, most miserable-looking Middle Ages I've ever seen depicted on film. Legit. Yeah. Like especially, yeah, like, especially the moment where where that it's just a small, fleeting moment of of that Mac, Macbeth is sleeping with with Banco and like they're these like supposedly tense but they're not tense at all they're basically just these little just like like a hood or something yeah right and like they've just dug out a little trench yeah it's just like wow and that's where you spend your last night before you go and die in battle like that (laughs) yeah it was just it was so brutal yeah yeah and it looks cold and it looks it's raining all the time. The the <laughs> actors are clearly like breathing out and, and you can see their breath. It's like, it's frigid. It was filmed all entirely in Scotland, right? Or Scotland and Ireland, I guess. No, but, Scotland uh, and England. The Scotland and England. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it, it feels very um, grimy is a good, a good <laughs> word for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and let's start talking about Fastbender's Macbeth. So, yeah, it, you were talking earlier, Aiden, about uh, about transitioning in, kind of a, in some ways a bit of a negative, but also in a positive. This is the most naturalistic reading I have ever seen for Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Kind of where there's almost uh, at times I was like, where's the poetry? Where's the poetry? You're just reading it like it's just prose dialogue mm-hmm. at times. And, and so, and definitely what Fassbender is going for, and it's definitely, it's intentional. It's in his performance. This Macbeth is already dead. He is dead inside. He is just... Yeah. He has just yeah. been broken by war and the loss of his children. And he's just, his heart is out the entire yeah. time until he becomes king. And even then it's, it's only a half hearted at times, mm-hmm. but he is just, yeah. and it is very terrifying, quite frankly, because it's just, because he's so detached, it's just, it doesn't take much for, he how do I put this? 
I mean, Macbeth is, is very much how you want to interpret him is very open of that John Finch's Macbeth was really passionate, outgoing, and also very penitent and very reluctant in his mm-hmm. ambition. And, mm-hmm. and and famously like in in that he doesn't even he 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 doesn't kill he doesn't want to kill Duncan and basically has to because Duncan sees him with a knife. Right. Yeah. This is not like Fastbender's Macbeth doesn't even hesitate for a moment. He just stabs. Yeah. He stabs repeatedly. It's it's like like out a psycho or something. It's just like whoa. And then gets in front of his son. Well, that <laughs> yeah. It's that whole dark. scene is just disturbing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's supposed to be disturbing, but yeah, it's just a great job. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I, I thought it was interesting that he, uh, the, he also kind of turned uh, after he visited the stepsisters the second time, or the weird sisters, I should say. Um, and then he just, he was just freewheeling. Like he was like, ah, no, no man born of woman can hurt me. I can, I can do whatever I want. I can burn these people alive in front of my subjects. There's no way they're going to turn on me because the the strange ladies in the green background told me so like it's it's yeah. it's such a uh i i really like that part because like his unhinged his him becoming unhinged worked like wonders for me because uh because like you said he was he's already so hollow so beaten down um so traumatized and yeah with nothing no hope of an heir um he's kind of just nothing pursuing yeah yeah nothing to lose and not really much more to gain. He's the king already. So, you know what? He's like, I'm just going to do what feels good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, in terms of just nonverbal, but just that moment when he smiles, it's it might be the only time he actually smiles in the play. And that, like, big yeah. toothy grin, it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 That it's is... very unsettling. That is yeah. the devil right there. That is like a psycho. Woo! Absolutely. Yeah. Like, Lady Macbeth, run! <laughs> run! It is interesting that he's, he does seem a little bit hesitant at, at the start. Like, he, and I mean, the play bears that out. Like, Macbeth is... And it's one of the reasons why the play can be interpreted in so many different ways. But he starts off kind of disbelieving this isn't real. Like, you know, oh, yeah, like I'm I'm going to become, you know, Thane of Cawdor. Yeah, whatever. Right. But yeah. but once these things start happening, um, his his demeanor changes. But because the director and Fassbender and they've all kind of conspired to make Macbeth this broken husk of a man to begin with. It's so easy to fill him with the, the borrowed ambition that the weird sisters give him and the suggestions from his wife and his own paranoia. It kind of builds and it feels very natural, even though it's very creepy and unnatural when he reaches that point of, of like that break from reality and he's murdering people and, you know, holding himself up in his room. It feels like, yeah, this, this tracks, this is, this makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And yes, that that's, that's a wonderful reading uh, of an interpretation of this. And I didn't think of it that way, but yes, because he is so hollow and broken, it's not, it doesn't take that much for, 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 for Lady Macbeth, just sway him. Of course, she also does something that, Okay, so I alluded to it in the in the pre-recording. <laughs> There's a term that that came about when when my one of my favorite TV shows, Game of Thrones, was was going out of sex position, yeah. i.e., a little TNA makes exposition exposition scenes seem much more tolerable. Mm-hmm. And Game of Thrones did it a lot until the critics kept on mentioning it, and they finally stopped. <laughs> To some, I argue, the detriment of the show. Well, right. <laughs> anyways, uh, so the only I, I was thinking about it, and I I, th- I realized it today that the the other only other thing I can think of of a scene even remotely like this in a Shakespeare movie is in is in the Othello with Lawrence Fishburne and Kenneth Branagh. Okay. There's like a weird moment that I 
I, I just remembered where, where where Iago is talking to I'm forgetting the what the other character's name is, and they're like below a cart, and there's these two people having sex on top of the cart, <laughs> and like even Iago is like trying to almost seduce the guy. Okay. To, to yeah. Help him. Right. But it's not quite the same as this scene. Because yeah, this, this is very overt. <laughs> this, this is very much more like overt and flat out Game of Thrones of just yes. Of just Lady Macbeth literally seduces Macbeth into unlike other versions where it's just like a good talking to and just kind of shaming him with his manhood and other things. Mm. This time it's just like no, come on, and just like just kind of seduces him in literally seduces him into it yes and he's just kind of and also kind of creepily like lady Macbeth is not enjoying it at all really she's just so (laughs) focused on (laughs) well this is the thing this is why lady Macbeth is one of those she's such a powerful character right because Mm -hmm. you can read this play as entirely the fault of lady Macbeth and and Macbeth is just fallen for her womanly wiles. And I think this, this interpretation, the the film that we watched really lends itself to that reading because she's using sex to get what she wants. And, and the men, the, the man in, in her life, her husband is falling for it. And he's, he's like completely putty in her hand because she can, she can seduce him and get what she wants. And I think that that is, um, no less powerful than just having her insult his manhood, which is what the text says. But to have her do that while she's, while they're fucking, I mean, right? Like it's, it's very much a, a, uh, it fits. It just fits really well with that particular reading of the play. Right. Yeah. It does. I, I remember when, when we were watching Lindsay, I was like, wow, they just, they went for it. <laughs> you know, just totally. straight up. They yeah. had, they didn't hold anything back. They're like, you know what? We're going to turn this into a, a sex scene. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm there for it. I can, yeah. I can go along with this. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know. I mean, it's a, it's a clever moment because it's just, and that moment of, of Winnie in passion and where your mind isn't thinking straight. She is thinking straight and saying like, oh, so I'm going to poison them, and that's when you're going to stab them? I was like, okay. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. <Yeah>. mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like actually now thinking about it, it reminds me of a moment in Don John. Weirdest okay. person ever. Of just, of just where Scarlett Johansson kind of does that, is in the middle of them, kind of her getting him off. He, she she right. then says, like, I think you should go back to college. What? Uh, okay. <laughs> I should meet your parents. But it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, well, I haven't had a girlfriend do that to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, <laughs> so. So yeah, sex position in Shakespeare. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. Totally yeah. fine. And quite frankly, I mean. I mean, Shakespeare is taught in middle schools and high schools, but Shakespeare is, can be very bloody and be very dirty mm-hmm. without actually sometimes referring to the actual deeds and things. But it's just like it's it's innuendo on a very blunt hammer kind of way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just the title Much Ado About Nothing right. is... It's just because nothing is no longer slang for what it was then. Yeah. That, I mean, I, mean, I can't imagine, like, you'd have to go to probably like a porno for, for, for something of that kind of crude for a time. Yeah, level of punnery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But that's the playfulness of, of the language that Shakespeare can get away with. And and it's like, again, being a teacher, like you, you always kind of find that angle and you don't want to, you know, overly expose the kids to, you know, all the smut and violence that Shakespeare can bring. But it's a fun way to kind of hook them in and get them interested in it because there is so much of it. And, you know, Shakespeare's insults are just one of a million different things that you can look at in Shakespeare and have just so much fun with it because his insults are amazing. 
Um, so yeah, when you when you have a, a sex position scene, it just feels like it it works. I think Shakespeare would very much appreciate uh, this production's um, nod to that. You know, by having Lady Macbeth assert her power over Shakespeare, or sorry, over Macbeth in a, in a sexual way. It's mm-hmm. it's. Well, Very it's not just, it's not just a sexual way. It's it's mental. It's oh yeah, it's everyone. She is being yep. dominant. She's being yep. She's the one on top. Yep, that's absolutely. Right. <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, here's my note by the way, just for a little fun immature gag. Screw your courage to the sticking place is now a literal st- sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh my god, like you're it. so right. <laughs> I'm never going to read that line again without thinking of this film, like the way that they yeah. did it. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going through my notes just for fun things we can talk about. So sure. in terms of like the that minimalist kind of magic, we have things like the dagger of the mind now, mm. now carries a different meaning because it's also he sees his son Mm-hmm. carrying the dagger right. it's not just a, a bloody dagger that that haunts him yeah and now I, the way i interpreted that scene is that that's also his son and like the last shred of his humanity what little there is left in him just saying don't do this mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's usually what i interpret the dagger of the mind to be right in general but but having the son be the one to just embody that. Oh, and also earlier, when Macbeth starts to be more on the "I will seek out to kill Duncan," mm-hmm. is is right after he's burned his son. Yeah. Right. So that's a that is a telling moment, and that's a good directorial choice by Kurzel to just have that moment of just the burning of humanity and then the last remnants of just his son haunting him with the dagger of the mind. Yeah. 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 I I think that's, that's, it's just having just that, that there's so, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. There's so much humanity in this play. And I think that's what makes it, from the the weird sisters and their humanity to Lady Macbeth and Macbeth dealing with the deaths of their children, um, there's a, a human element that makes it so much more um, psychologically gripping and almost kind of relatable in a weird way, um, in the sense that you can kind of understand like the dagger of the mind, yeah, you're right. I, it's always been a moment like that's that's a defining moment for Macbeth that he, when he decides to do it. But the fact that it's his son, it just goes to show how how deeply the events of the last, you know, few days have affected him. That he is imagining that it's his son giving him this last this last moment before he commits to a path that he will not be able to turn away from, but even though he's kind of already gone down that path and he, he's already on it, he can't get off of it. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting choice on the part of the the filmmaker, because like we mentioned earlier, there's reference to them having a child, having a child who's died, but, yeah. but this second child is not, strictly speaking a a character in the play it's not a canonical character if you want to use the term so um it was a directorial choice and that's a kind of a an interesting one a, a pretty bold one yeah and it's well, in keeping with the, everything it, else this is another macbeth movie where they where they've done that orson welles mm-hmm. also kind of famously divided up banco's lines and gave them to this whole new character called the mm-hmm. the holy man, mm-hmm. and and pretty much, what what, and and, and brilliance of, of directorial choices. He took out all of Banco's nice lines and gave them to the holy man. So mm. as a consequence, Banco is kind of more like Buckingham of just like he's just purely ambitious, and just okay, kind of a jerk. <laughs> so you don't feel really. You don't feel really bad when he gets w- what happens to him. Yeah. In, in Wells, Macbeth. Yeah. 
actually want to talk a little bit about um, Benko and just um, okay. and uh, both Benko and Macduff. So mm-hmm. um, Benko is played by Patty Const- Constantine. I don't know how to say that last name. Sure. Um, I've seen him in, in, in a bunch of comedies, so it's a bit weird to see him go all all drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's always a question for how ambitious you want to make Banco. Mm-hmm. I, this Banco, one, there's so many more scenes with him with Fleance. Mm-hmm. It makes his, his, even though it's kind of, it should be a given, but it, it makes his compassion for Fleance a little bit more sweet. Right. And his, like, begging Fleance to escape, all the more yeah. potent. Yeah. And this is also a pretty kind of heroic way for, for Benko to go out from, for just, like, he's really fighting and just not, yes, he's taken by surprise, but he fights it out like a champion. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I did like uh, also. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you, no, you go ahead. That's fine. In terms of, um, I mean, the way I, I look at this Banco is he's just one. He's Macbeth's best friend, but he's also just this decent dude who, who isn't at all swayed by the weird sisters. He's just more creeped about by what they've said and just nervous the entire time. Yeah. I think he's, he's played here as kind of like an everyman, uh, much more than in uh, at least the stage production that I saw. Um, he was very much more a political actor, whereas here he's very kind of mutant subdued. He's his, his role really is, uh, to be the ghost ultimately at the banquet kind of scene or uh, yeah. he's just he's gonna remind Macbeth, Macbeth you're a bad dude you had me killed and look at me look at this face I'm I'm the happy-go-lucky guy and uh, you had me murdered like that that's really kind of what his his uh, ultimate purpose is here whereas um, you could play him as a more um, active political character in a sense like mm-hmm. he 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 calls into question uh, Macbeth's motives. Um, I think in the text, it's been a couple of years now since I've read. Actually, it's probably he been does. ten years. But yeah, he does, right? He, he does, and well, the big thing is, and is it's also, and his relationship with Fleance. That's where the the variety of interpretation can come into. Mm-hmm. Of just that, in other versions, he's much more. He, it can be read of him being much more like, "Ooh, Fleance, you're going to be king. Right. You're going to be king." And he's just yeah. really doting on him and in some ways like hoisting all his ambitions. And uh, like I said, the I don't want to be a comparison game the entire time, but like Orson Welles version, they actually have Banco say out loud to Macbeth, hey, remember what the weird sisters said? Mm-hmm. They said, my son, I'm going to breed a line of kings. Mm-hmm. So pretty sweet for me. Yeah. That's almost a threat. And just, yeah. And which is missing from this. Like Banquo doesn't seem to be he he's he's afraid. He's threatened by Macbeth. He's not a threat, or at least not an active threat to Macbeth. And no. uh and that's that's really interesting to see because it's different again, based on how you read the play, you could do it either way. Um you you mentioned contrasting him a little bit with Macduff and all I can think about is the fact that you have these two men Banquo and Fleance are both uh attempted well Banquo was murdered Fleance escapes in the other instance Macbeth uh kills Macduff's children but Macduff escapes and ends up killing Macbeth so you have these two father figures two fathers who have children who are murdered um, or attempted to be murdered by Macbeth. And Banquo in this production is the very stoic, fearful, but brave father. And Macduff is just this fiery, like, I'm going to get you guy, right? And um, and that, I thought, was... Also, that's in the play, but it's it's a, it's a 
I think it's aided by what we mentioned earlier with the filters at the end and the way that 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 final battle is staged. But to have these two fathers um, who are both threatened and victimized by Macbeth and his overleaping ambition, right, mm-hmm. is is kind of an interesting uh, way to play it. Absolutely. Um, so for Macduff, he's played by Sean Harris. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bit off-putting for me some when I'm seeing him because he's play because he's been typecast as as playing bad guys, creepy, terrifying bad guys. He's he's right. the main bad guy in a bunch of the recent Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, I knew I recognized him from something. Yeah, so seeing him as this as a nice guy is kind of like whoa, hey, oh, good for you. Right. Like, you yeah. got actually go. <laughs> Get to play a good guy for once. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to be too faulty. Uh, Like two of the only moments where I just felt like that the direction and performance was not, I think, missing the mark was Macbeth's madness scene at, at at the dinner table Mm -hmm. just because it just because this Macbeth is just such so more subdued and Fassbender played it as such he just wasn't freaking out quite frankly enough yeah it's just more just kind of like subdued like who's doing this he's just angry more than like like terrified well it it kind of under sorry Lindsay go ahead no you go ahead Aiden Okay, well, I was, I was just going to say it also kind of undercut the the really kind of gritty realist tone because all the other extras in that scene don't really seem to react. It's yeah. like this king is going totally nuts, you know, just shouting and threatening his wife and just being really bizarre. And they just kind of sit there and, yeah. and then they get sent out and nobody like even steals like a, a chicken wing <laughs> on their way out. Like they've got this whole platter of food in front of them. It's just, it, 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 it felt uh, off compared to the rest of the yes the production i think and well that's one of the i mean just john finch in the 70s movie just he just has a total class a freak out and uh, same with uh wells if he just goes bonkers and just wells's eyes just say so much and like his expression is just like Oh my gosh! What the hell? Uh, what? No! 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 You're dead. Fastbender's just more like, huh? What's going on? <laughs> Who's putting me up to this? Right. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> Win. You punked me. Yeah. Uh. And the other one was um. I mean, full disclosure, I read Macduff recently in a okay. fun while reading but just Macduff like Harris is just he's obviously sad but I've always interpreted I will feel it as a man as just him crying and him being mm-hmm. sad but what you said Lindsay earlier that I think is completely apt is that he he, he this is an extremely angry Macduff Mm-hmm. Yeah, be hell bent on revenge, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind that aspect of it because I thought, I think it was mostly the performance. I felt like uh, he he did own up to that rage and that that uh, lust for revenge. Um, mm-hmm. It came across well, at least, and I, I think it it also, uh, well, and it, it everything for me for Macduff leads up to that the final scene um and the fact that everything just kind of revolves back into Macbeth just giving up was a very interesting choice and just like yeah it it like that that whole ending was very surprising to me but at the same time it made sense for both Macduff and Macbeth um you know it, it was the whole like prophecy of like oh I was untimely ripped from my mother's room kind of stuff was it was always kind of a, a bit hokey, even when I read it in grade 11, uh, like Lindsay. But mm-hmm. uh, I love that here. Line. It's like, uh, no, I know. Me too. I do. Just because that's that's just a great 
That's that's always I always love prophecy twists like that. I always do. <laughs> I'm just like Oedipus. You're going to kill your 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 father and marry your mother. Oh, running away! Hey, annoying yeah, guy, yeah. get out of my way! Yeah. Hey. Uh, it's so true. And like, and it works here too, though, because like, and I think it's mostly because uh, the way Fassbender did just turn when he, when he heard the second set of prophecies from the, the weird sisters is just like, he was so overconfident. Um, And then to have the final one finally come crashing down in front of his face. um, It made sense that he's just like, okay, well, we're done here. Go ahead. Just finish me off. And, and uh, and then Macduff's like reaction to that is also, I thought was pretty interesting because he's he's confused at the same time, but he still wants his revenge and he's in that in between space. And there was, yeah, I, I I liked that ending actually. I thought that was it was unexpected for me, but I wound up liking it. In terms of also being creative, um, I mean, and this is also ignoring the text or bringing different reading. And, and everything of just having Burnham would be move be ashes. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it adds to a wonderful final filter of just, and now Macbeth is firmly in hell. Yeah. He, he is 100% in hell. And mm-hmm. he is just surrounded. And like you said, said before, and, and I, I agree is especially I think in I think I think more than any other version the death of Lady Macbeth firmly like finally utterly breaks him mm-hmm. or just like that's it it's like yeah okay I'm out mm-hmm. and he's just trying to die at that point yeah. but at the same time it's like oh but I'm not gonna die like I'm charmed, so so this sucks either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, this is like I said, this isn't a very upbeat <laughs> Shakespeare movie. Not at all. But then again, it's not an upbeat play, so. No. Yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch Much Ado after this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, just the final kind of great battle. It's, it's Star Wars. It's 300. It's epic. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I never would have actually no. Reading the just reading the the text, you can kind of appreciate that the kind of grandness of Macduff and Macbeth dueling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I think we're kind of rounding up the discussion. Uh, some just stray notes. Uh, this is the third movie I've seen where Marianne Cotillard plays a, played a woman who commits suicide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one, Inception, and what was the... Oh, Allied. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers for go. all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, too late. I already said that it happened, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a bit typecasting, maybe. But, maybe yeah. a little. But she does she does do a really good job as as Lady Macbeth, and I feel like um, it's the first time that I've seen a production where I actually felt a lot of sympathy for her, even uh-huh. when she was at her most potent and most evil. I still kind of felt bad for her. So that mm-hmm. that takes something because Lady Macbeth is a force to be reckoned with, and mm-hmm. uh, to make me feel bad for her is is that something? So yeah, um, I mean for me uh, the what I get getting back to to her and something I noted her repeatedly saying what what's done cannot be undone, and first that's that's almost a beckoning. And like an invitation for ambition, but then later on, it's also a call for restraint. Mm-hmm. I'm just like saying, what's done cannot be undone, mm-hmm. and and just warning, like, uh, husband, please, please, like restraint, restraint, <laughs> restraint. Uh, 
in terms of just costuming, I, I do want to say I, I love that little like kind of blue streak that they they had her have. Yeah. Once she was queen. It's a very interesting aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of like the ancient Celtic uh, tribal face paint that uh, men and women would wear, the the blues especially, which you see in Braveheart, you see in um, the battle scenes here too, but it, it was much more delicate. There were a couple of other women that I noticed that seemed to be royalty and they also had it. It was a very um, interesting, probably historically... Uh, tinged approach to costuming that I, I thought was really cool too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, also in terms of costuming, I, I, I rarely talk about costuming, but just something I noticed. Mm-hmm. And again, repeating Star Wars y of subtle, but also not so subtle, mm-hmm. is that when Duncan, when Duncan first comes to, to greet the Macbeth family, he's dressed in white and Lady Macbeth and and Macbeth are in black. Yes. Not very subtle there. Not <laughs> very <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I think Malcolm also is in white, too. So they're both just like kind of like nice, good, pure. Like, what is yeah. this a western? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> white yeah. hat, black hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh. All right. Any wanna closing thoughts you wanna close this out on? I I had just one thing. It was it was just a it just a passing mention because you mentioned Malcolm and I I'd, I'd kind of forgotten. But having him in the room when his father was killed, yeah. um, and oh. him stumbling across Macbeth, I thought was also interesting because um, a it added in the why did he leave you know and draw suspicion upon himself which i always thought was a little shady because if you wanted to kill your dad so you could become king why would you leave and not claim the crown like that was always kind of a strange uh you know plot device that shakespeare yeah yeah it was kind of a plot hole on shakespeare's part but um so i i like that a lot actually that was that was one other thing and i thought malcolm is a as a character he's so minor um in the text really um but and i don't know i think it was possibly just the casting i think they cast a guy who just looks like he's going to be the prince you know and you can tell um he just looks like he's going to be the king he's going to be the next king so you kind of just instinctively feel like yeah that guy's that guy looks like a scottish king so i'm gonna you know it just it it hits on all those uh you know uh stereotype stereotypes and and what have you i think to to kind of leverage that a little bit but Mm -hmm. i thought malcolm's role in the in the this adaptation was actually pretty cool yeah that's a wonderful final note. Although I think I got one final one. Does this movie commit a fatal flaw of excising double bubble toil and trouble? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Most famous line from this play. Yeah. Not in it. <laughs> well, I think it, I think that maybe that because it's such a famous line, it almost, Anytime you have it, it almost struggle. You struggle under the weight of how popular and how well known that line is. So getting rid of it doesn't. I didn't even notice that it was gone, to be honest, until you just mentioned it. I'm like, oh yeah, that wasn't in there at all. The rest of the speech was, when will we three meet again? You know, all of that is there, but it's not. Um, it just feels more natural, and I think that's probably because that line is is excised. It's it's. Um, it's so well, popular. It's so it's been lampooned in so many different places. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know? Well, yeah. It's it's part of the popular consciousness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's always a challenge, and I do know what you mean. I mean, uh, I keep on referencing this movie because I'm dreadfully awaiting when I'm gonna finally review it with some people who <laughs> agreed to talk to me about it. But yeah. Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, right. Like they, they they kind of. They still have Wherefore Art Thou, Romeo, but they tried to make it a, an entirely new meaning for it. Where, where right. Juliet's literally looking for Romeo. Yeah. Line. Or, yeah. so it's like, oh, that's funny. That's a whole different way of reading that line. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, the line that, uh, the most famous line from Richard III, uh, 
I always maintain is kind of a contradiction to his character of just a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's not really Richard. Richard, is, like that line implies cowardice, and that's not Richard. Richard yeah. is a lot of things, but he is not a coward. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we just we just watched the uh, Olivier Richard III a couple months ago, and oh. uh, and then I also remember watching the Ian McKellen one, where mm-hmm. it's my horse, my horse, kingdom for a horse, and then he shoots the guy who brings him a horse. Like mm-hmm. it, it's you know there there's different ways of of trying to like square some of those circles that are that are the combination of like what's in the text, your how you're gonna play the character. The, the overall feel of the movie and then that cultural weight um you yeah. know connected to those lines and so yeah i think for this one like i agree with Lindsay i think it's it's it would have been hard to do it in this super gritty naturalist kind of look that they developed well b- definitely because it's part of the magical spell mm-hmm. it's part mm-hmm. of like conjuring magical magical spells so and we're not even doing magical spells to begin with it's kind of like a yeah. Even. Yeah. 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 So, I think that's covers everything. Yeah. So, thank you so much for coming on to talk about about this Macbeth with me. Uh, I really hope you guys would love to have you guys come back to talk about anything else. Um, come back on yeah. to talk about the King if you want to. I'll talk about yeah, the King. Yeah, that would be that would be a <laughs> lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was really great to be able to talk. And like we had mentioned in pre-recording, like we hadn't seen this film yet, so it's like a great opportunity to like dive in and then have a really great conversation with someone else who is also passionate about Shakespeare. So this was a lot of fun yeah. for us. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank yeah. you. Well, and and we'll, we'd like to have you on sometime for you can come on one of our episodes sometime too. That'd be great. Oh, well, that would be wonderful. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, tune in maybe. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you everybody. Have a good time. We'll see what what what's happens next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>